one of the, the things that frustrated me as a young property investor, you know, being able to access the capital that I needed to grow my wealth was really, really difficult. Um, and similarly, in a sort of parallel world, working at you know, the bigger end of town, I saw how a lot of the commercial landlords do it. And um, you can't do this in the residential world, but in the commercial world, um, a lot of landlords get paid their rent in advance, sometimes quarterly, six monthly. If you look at a specialised service, um, specialised asset like a service station that has a lot of capex, yeah. often it's actually annually in advance. Um, but residential investors just don't have that possibility. Um, so that was, I think, the, uh, the genesis really for future rent. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills, and their money, and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests. Every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy, and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You will hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening. And now let's get invested. Hi, Freedom Fighters. What's your biggest frustration as a property investor? For many, it's the limit of their property purchasing capacity. They want to invest more and grow their portfolios quickly, but after a couple of properties, They're capped out because they either don't have the borrowing capacity or they run out of equity. And both are equally important to enable you to secure more property. For me, it all comes down to what I like to call the bare facts, where bare, as in B-E-A-R, breaks down into borrowings, equity, affordability, and your sleep at night risk appetite. And the first two the B&E, or borrowings and equity, determine your property purchase power. And the lowest of your borrowings or your equity drives how much you can pay for a property. What do I mean by this? Well, very simply, you might be able to borrow an extra million dollars based on your income and liabilities, which is where many first-time investors start as they jump on an online borrowing calculator on a bank or other website and think they can borrow or buy a property for a million dollars. But they're sadly mistaken because your purchase price power is also determined by how much you need to contribute in equity. Now equity is just a fancy word for the amount of savings and or available equity you have in your existing property or properties to cover the shortfall in the loan against the property, plus the establishment on costs that include things like stamp duty, bank and professional fees, conveyancing costs, adjustments to rates and taxes, etc. Now, in property terms, equity is the difference between what the bank thinks your property is currently worth, and sidebar here, it's generally 10 to 15% below what you can actually sell it for, minus how much you currently owe on it. 
remembering that lending accessible equity is generally 90% of this value, less the balance of your current loan. So as an example, if your property is valued by the bank at about 500000 and your current loan balance is 350000 then your available equity is 500000 times 90%, which equates to about 450000 minus the $350,000 loan, so your available equity would be 100000 Now in broad terms, this means that if you get an investment loan for 90% of the value of the investment property, including lender's mortgage insurance, which actually means you're effectively borrowing approximately 87 to 88% of the purchase price, then you need to have sufficient equity to cover the shortfall gap of 12 to 13%, plus approximately 6 to 10% for all of the establishment on costs. Now, the 6% is the bare minimum, but if you are also engaging independent property strategists, buyers agents, building and pest inspectors, etc., then you need to budget for approximately 10% on costs. So, as an example, on a property purchase price of $500,000, you need to come up with a deposit from your savings or accessible available equity in your existing properties via interest-only investment loans against them to cover the $65,000 in loan shortfall plus the thirty dollars to fifty dollars for the on-costs. This means that on a worst-case basis, you need to have available equity of $110,000 to secure a $500,000 property. Now these are worst case numbers and an investment savvy mortgage broker like our know-how property finance architects are able to access special lenders and lending solutions and they're often able to come up with creative ways to reduce your equity contribution to help you secure a property. But even on a best case basis, you still need to be able to access a deposit of somewhere between sixty-five to seventy-five thousand to secure a five hundred thousand dollars property. And here lies the looming problem for most investors, because after roughly two to three properties, they hit the capacity ceiling, because they either run out of borrowing capacity, or they run out of equity, or a mixture of both. So it's clear that your achievable borrowing capacity, as well as your access to equity equity can have a massive impact on your ability to continue to secure residential investment property in order to grow your portfolio. Now we'll put your borrowing capacity aside for today as I'll dive into how you can improve your borrowing capacity in a future episode, except to say that your biggest asset when you're getting a loan for an investment property is your borrowing capacity, not the interest rate of the loan, which is unfortunately what most investors, brokers and banks tend to focus on. Now, while we're on the subject of borrowing capacity, you may be surprised to hear that there's a 55% variation across the lenders in terms of how much you can borrow based on exactly the same income and liabilities profile. To illustrate this, this is the difference between being able to secure a property for $500,000 and securing a property of $775,000. And if they both enjoy capital growth at the same average rate of, say, 7% over the next 20 years, then the difference between maximising your borrowing capacity versus chasing the cheapest rate will have put on an extra $790,000 in your back pocket. All by just just maximising your borrowing capacity instead of focusing on the lowest rate loan. So again, make sure you're working with an investment savvy mortgage broker who has access to specialist lenders 
that can significantly boost your borrowing capacity. But I digress. Let's get back on the topic, topic of equity, given its similar impact on your ability to secure additional properties. If you're an existing investor who has already tapped out on your savings and you've used up all of your accessible equity in your existing investment properties and or your home by taking out investment loans against them of up to 90% loan-to-valuation ratio, including the lender's mortgage insurance costs, how can you access sufficient additional funds for the deposit on your next property? What are your options? Well, unfortunately, they're limited. You can start saving furiously by living on a budget of baked beans and dog food to put away an extra seventy-five to 110000 but this is likely to take you years unless you're getting large, lumpy and consistent bonuses. You can wait for your existing properties to go up in value sufficiently to create the equity deposit, which may have been the case over the last 12 months due to the 20 to 30% rise in property values, but this is the exception rather than the rule. And it generally takes five years plus to see this level of property value and equity increase. You can roll the dice and investigate the time and headache of refinancing with the possibility that another lender's valuation will come in higher and give you enough equity for your next deposit. You can get a contribution from the bank of mum and dad who may be able to access equity in their property to give you the deposit or you may be able to get a good friend or colleague to do the same. But both of these come with inherent risks for you and them, and they need to be very carefully documented. You can also sell an existing property to avail funds for your next purchase, but this is costly and a taxing changeover, and doesn't allow capital growth accumulation to build your wealth easily and affordably. Or you can try to take out a personal loan, but this is expensive and really chews into your borrowing capacity. So if you're taking this option, you're often robbing Peter to pay Pauline with this approach. So where do you turn in order to get your hands on the required deposit funds? Apart from the options I've just mentioned, there really aren't any other cost-effective alternatives, or at least there hasn't been until now. And this is where today's special guest Godfrey Din and his disruptive industry innovation of future rent comes to your rescue. Godfrey's an experienced property investor on a mission to revolutionise residential rent. He's over 15 years' experience in property investment and finance both professionally and personally for organisations such as Deutsche Bank and Investec, as well as buying and selling his own investment properties in Australia and the US, which led him to create Future Rent, as you'll hear in our great chat today. So what is Future Rent? Without stealing Godfrey's thunder during our great reveal in today's awesome conversation, Future Rent gives you, as a property investor, your rent in advance, giving you access to up to $100,000 for each rental property you own, fast and simply, to help purchase another property, or you can access up to one year's rent in advance if you're looking to renovate your home or the investment property, invest in a business, or buy some shares as some examples. Created specifically for property investors like you and me, Future Rent is a loan-free financing solution with no interest, no hidden fees, and no credit impact. And you can access these monies in just two business days. Now, Godfrey and his team have cut out all of the typical drawbacks of traditional finance as they simply provide investors with access to their rent in advance. 
rather than have to jump through all of the hoops while being a contortionist to lend money from a bank. And the good news is that you still receive ongoing rental income throughout the term and you have the ability to pause instalments if your tenant vacates and stops paying rent. So if you're a property investor who's looking for quick and easy access to equity funds to secure your next property or for other worthwhile purposes, check out futurerent.com.au. And if you're fired up about taking your property investment to the next level, no matter where you're at, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned investor that's struggling with your portfolio, I'd like to invite you to join me on our unique Know-How Property Freedom Formula Flight program where I'll personally guide you through my proven process for property investment success. And or we can complete a review of your current portfolio to see how you can improve it, how you can reduce your costs, reduce your risks, and how you can increase your property purchasing capacity. To book your ticket or to find out more, just jump on knowhowproperty.com.au forward slash Freedom Fighters. And if you want to hear more from Godfrey along with all of Australia's leading property investors and independent professionals, join me and the other 120,000 plus regular listeners every week as I anchor host the country's most popular and longest running property show, Realty Talk. So I look forward to seeing you on channels.realty.com.au forward slash Realty Talk where we share short and sharp take-home tips and tricks on all things property. In the meantime, enjoy this ear-opening conversation with Godfrey Din. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Now, traditionally, one of the biggest challenges that you face as a property investor is the inability to grow your portfolio quickly due to the difficulty in accessing equity easily, fast and affordably. So for anyone who invests in property, you know that it's expensive and often your equity is tied up, which makes it hard, time-consuming and often stressful for you to make your next investment unless you refinance or sell existing properties. But as an active property investor, you're likely to be ambitious with goals of buying more property or renovating existing properties ASAP. So how do you overcome this significant financing hurdle? Well, what if there's a better funding option than refinancing to achieve this? that avoids the endless and expensive paperwork, the extensive delay times, the expensive costs and fees, as well as the impact on your credit report. Well, that's exactly where today's special guest, Godfrey Din, the CEO of Industry Innovator and Disruptor Future Rent, comes in with this exciting new funding innovation that we're going to reveal and unpack today. So welcome and let's get invested, Godfrey. Thanks so much, Bushy. Mate, uh, been looking forward to having this chat since you and I uh, first connected on uh, Realty Talk recently, and I sort of want to do a really big deep dive on uh, you know the exciting innovation that you bring to the table. But before we get stuck into that, I'd sort of love for you to just give us a, a quick intro on who you are, what you do, and most importantly, why you do what you do, please, mate. Yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of FutureRent. And um, that's, in short, basically a loan-free alternative for property investors to get up to $100,000 of their rent in advance. Um, you know, I do what I do because property investing is really, I think, the number one way that everyday Australians secure financial independence. 
Um, but generally, property investors have been deprioritized by the banks, um, and access to finance is generally their biggest issue. Um, accessing 50,000 is as difficult as getting 500,000. So we really wanted to provide a better funding solution to help property investors grow their wealth. Love it, love it, and we're going to have some fun really diving into the details of that shortly. But before we do that, mate, uh, I'd love for you to take us on your personal journey so far and go back as far as you'd like uh, and talk to us about where you've invested your own time, energy and money. Where has it led to you? What have been the highs and lows? What have been the learnings? And, and how has that brought you to what you're now doing? Yeah, so uh, to go back to where it started, I actually studied property economics at, um, at UTS. Um, and I started working for Investec um, and then later Deutsche Bank in their property investment and structured finance areas. Um, and I was a super eager young property investor. So, you know, the, the minute, and I was still at university when I started working, I was on one of those sort of grad program, undergraduate program uh, things and, you know, managed to save up a little bit of money and bought my first investment property, which was a, um, a house on a decent sized block of land in Irmington. Um, this would have been 2006. Um, and um, the land was big enough to subdivide. So I always thought, you know, great, I, I could, you know, when I have the money, I could subdivide this property. But even though I was in a, you know, decent job, albeit a young guy, um, on a decent income, I never managed to save up the money to, to do the, um, to do the subdivision work. So I ended up just prioritizing different things. And as a result, um, I never did that subdivision. I ended up, you know, I held onto the property for a number of years, then I sold it, made a little bit of money, but the next buyer came along, subdivided the block, and, you know, made, made a decent amount of money. Um, and, um, you know, that was really sort of one of the, the things that frustrated me as a young property investor, you know, being able to access the capital that I needed to grow my wealth was really, really difficult. Um, and similarly, in a sort of parallel world, working at, you know, the bigger end of town, I saw how a lot of the commercial landlords do it. And um, you can't do this in the residential world, but in the commercial world, um, a lot of landlords get paid their rent in advance, sometimes quarterly, six monthly. If you look at a specialised service, um, specialised asset like a service station that has a lot of capex, yeah. often it's actually annually in advance. Um, but residential investors just don't have that possibility. Um, so that was, I think, the uh, the genesis really for future rent. Yeah, got it. Perfect. Well, I'd like to sort of circle back and, and dig in a little bit deeper to some of that, if you don't mind, uh, before we sort of get stuck into the nuts and bolts of future rent. Uh, and the first question I'd like to sort of better understand is why property? I mean, uh, where did that initial interest in property uh, emerge uh, and before you even made the decision to do property economics? Yeah, for, for me, the, what attracted me to property was, um, well, firstly, I like the fact that I can, I can look, see and understand it. Um, but secondly, what really drove me towards it was, you know, your ability to really influence your outcome so much more than if you were just investing and buying shares in the share market and you're just one of thousands of investors with, with no influence or control and no visibility. Um, I think, you know, to do really well 
in any sort of investment, there needs to be a little bit of um, uh, sort of, I guess, an edge. You need to really have an edge. Um, And getting an edge in, for instance, like the equities markets or something like that, really, really difficult. Um, Whereas property is something which, because the information is a little bit more opaque and the market's you know, I guess no, no two properties are the same. It's a very, you know, heterogeneous sort of market. Um, your ability to do well and your ability to control your own destiny is so much greater. Um, so, yeah, I think that was like a big influence for me. And um, I, um, yeah, was, was, was introduced to a couple of people who had sort of done the course and um, it sounded like sort of a really interesting career path and and a, and a um, and an area where you know you could actually achieve financial independence um, off your own back that's a, a fairly mature insight for someone at a, a fairly young age mate uh, what sort of a pond were you swimming in to be able to sort of come up with that sort of revelation because a lot of people don't get to that point until they're sort of a lot older uh, was was your family heavily involved in property? What what was the sort of environment that uh, that led you to get to that point so quickly? Well, I think um, you know my I, I sort of um, I, I grew up in probably a very um, very sort of standard Australian family um, in um, the northwestern suburbs of Sydney. Um, so um, my uh, my dad actually moved to Australia from Vietnam in the seventies. Um, just before the fall of Saigon. Um, and my grandfather, he was actually a, um, a self-made sort of architect, builder and developer in Vietnam. He was actually very involved in the revolution um, when Vietnam was initially fighting for independence from the French. Um, and um, as a result of the, the war, his family actually lost everything. So they went from being one of the you know, wealthiest families in Saigon to, to actually one of the, the poorest. Um, and um, I think that influenced and sort of influenced my relationship with with money in a way where it made me realize that money can really come and go, um, but you're your biggest asset. Um, and it's all about what you can do. Um, and, you know, it's very much so about you and your journey as a person. So, um, so I think that that, influenced me to a degree where I sort of saw property as something where you could really um, sort of carve out your own destiny and your own journey. Um, but, you know, other than that, like my parents, I think they, they bought a couple of investment properties when we were growing up. And, and that for them was probably, a, a you know, I, I think really materially in terms of being able to um, provide for their retirement. Um, but, you know, they, they weren't big property investors in any way. Um, so it was probably more just like a kind of awareness of the family history that sort of made me think this way. Yeah, love it, love it, mate. Uh, I've been very fortunate in a way. I mean, and it's you know, I'm not uh, belittling at all the the obvious challenge that your grandfather went through. Uh, in must have been a very testing time for the family in Saigon, but uh, some some really important learnings that have come out of that that have clearly influence you and your direction at a, uh, a relatively uh, young vintage. So uh, so you, you um, 
did some work with Investec. I also understand you uh, then joined Deutsche Bank uh, and rose to uh, some pretty serious heights fairly quickly uh, with some significant monies under management. So talk to us a little bit about that experience. Yes, yeah, so I mean, I, I um, sort of worked my way up. I started at the very, very bottom. And uh, when I left, I was vice president of uh, Deutsche Bank's commercial real estate business here in Australia. Um, so I, um, you know, over my time, invested about 1.3 billion um, for the bank uh, into into property deals that's between Investec and Deutsche. And, um, you know, we did some really interesting things. So um, there was a lot of actually um, sort of opportunity around 2010 to 2014, um, where some of the banks were exiting, some of the European banks post financial crisis were exiting the Australian market and selling um, their positions and a lot of bad loans and um, situations that we could basically take over and, um, and sort of fix a lot of these broken assets. Um, so it was great, a great learning opportunity, and I think it allowed me to, at scale, get a lot of experience uh, with property deals that I would never be able to, you know, in a million years, have the amount of capital myself to, you know, do do those sorts of transactions and deals and and get that kind of experience at scale. Um, so I think that was, you know, a brilliant way to sort of start. Um, a career and go really, really deep and get a lot of specialised knowledge, um, which, um, yeah, was a fantastic start. Yeah, love it. Well, let's look at the parallels with that because you sort of mentioned uh, your first property investment was a house in Irvington uh, that that just, just physically and financially weren't able to subdivide uh, given the limitations of uh, what Resident yeah. let you do. You had, take us further on your own journey because I don't imagine – if you're playing with big numbers in big projects in that commercial arena with Deutsche Bank, uh, the you know for a an early time investor, they'd, they'd be like, okay, well this is going to be pretty easy for me given given uh, the comparison between the two and the, the scale of what you were dealing with, but uh, often not the case when it comes to the uh, cut and thrust of residential. So take us further on your own investment uh, personal investment journey in in terms of. What you invested in, why, and and what were the the highs and lows and the outcomes? Yeah, so probably the the biggest change for me came about when I left the corporate world. So, um, and that really happened by chance um, in in some ways because I was actually initially planning on moving overseas to um to work in private equity over in the UK, um, and I had a couple of months off because my sister was getting married. Um, so I was in the US visiting some friends and started looking around at property. I just couldn't switch off and started to think, wow, there's, there's actually like some decent yields and some good buying opportunities in the US. So this was 2014. So 2014, I actually thought that the market in Australia was overheated and I was you know, obviously wrong. <laughs> there was a lot more gas in the tank and the Australian market went on and on and on. Um, but um, so I um, actually sold, I, I'd sort of sold everything. I, I, I sold my house um, and um, sold my car, sold everything everything in storage. And, um, and I was, yeah, in the US and started then thinking, oh, wow, hang on a sec, 
th this actually looks quite reasonable. So um, I bought a uh, multifamily property in Boston. Um, so uh, right near the university, it's a big university town there. So right near Northeastern University. And um, so basically that's just like a, a block of units with a couple of units in it, um, which you rent out to university students. And yeah, the yield—the yield's good. So the yield was better than what you could get in Australia. We we're getting about a seven percent gross yield. Um, but the thing that you know I didn't really appreciate was obviously access to finance is just the biggest thing. And this is probably the mistakes that I made. So um, over there, you can't qualify for you know the same loans as everyone else. Um, but I was able to qualify under like a commercial style loan because we were essentially buying more of a commercial style property. Yeah. Uh, but that means lower leverage, right? So we got about 60% leverage. Um, we're paying a touch under 5% um, and we're grow, you know, grossing about seven. Um, so, you know, we're making a bit of a yield on the equity, but not great. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it was one of those things which I think as a result of, for instance, even the leverage meant that I did way less than what I would have been able to do if I'd just taken that money and invested it in Australia, right? Yeah. And, um, and as well, um, it meant that recycling that capital was a whole lot harder because the you know asset was in the US and if I wanted to do anything else in Australia, you can't really do the same things that you would do if you, you had that equity here in Australia. Um, so I think in some ways, um, in some ways it was, it was amazing because it sort of put me on a path which was more of an entrepreneurial path yeah. um, where I went on and set up, you know, my own um, or with a couple of other guys, like a commercial property investment and advisory business. Um, and, you know, and that was terrific. But in other ways... Um, that that investment itself came with a big opportunity cost. Yeah. Um, so you know, the business we had here, we'd do our own small deals, but with a reasonably limited amount of capital, and then would help other developers and commercial investors uh, with bigger deals. So we were constantly trading properties, right? Yeah. We we're constantly trying to find something, um, find something that needs a bit of fixing, needs a bit of love. And you can improve the rents or improve the values in some way and sell, right? Yeah. Um, you make money, but the problem with that is that after taxes, the profits, they're really not much better than a salary. Yeah. Um, so you're actually just constantly on the hunt for the next deal. Um, so I should have been more focused, I think, on how we could buy, fix and keep the real estate, yeah. right? Um, and that was one of the other factors that made me realize like that inability to access capital is such a limiting factor and the power of being able to access your rented advance, which is now, of course, what we do you know, for investors around the country. Yeah, yep. You still hold the US properties? No, no, we, we, we sold. And look, you know, we made a little bit of money, but... Um, not a fraction of what we would have made if we had invested that money in Australia. You just look at what the market's done locally here um, over the same period of time. It's it's just been been unbelievable. Yeah, I, 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 
reason I asked that, I get properties in the US myself, and it's been a, a very interesting ride. Uh, Godfrey, to say the least, I went a little bit earlier than you uh, when the GFC hit. I just thought this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity given how low uh, property values were in the US at the time. So we jumped on a plane and spent three months over there really getting a feel for the market. And uh, while it's been okay, it's been very challenging uh, given the time differences, but more importantly, the lack of professionalism that we experienced in the uh, industry players over there compared to what we were used to here in Australia. We, we are head and shoulders above... Uh, the rest in my own experience as far as that goes. I'm not sure how that went for you. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, there's a lot of things we think that the US is, um, and in many ways it is very, very advanced, but in many ways it's also um, caught in another century. Like, you know, tenants still pay their rent by check. I don't know if you're still getting checks, but <laughs> still getting checks, right? Um, and um, yeah, I think that there's a lot that in property comes down to really knowing your own backyard um, and having those local connections and having those local or that local knowledge um, which is just really difficult to do well if you're only there for three months or if you're only there you know half time yeah yeah no it's a good good read so uh, tell us about your ongoing personal journey then so you you certainly from a business perspective, doing some uh, active work in the, the sort of flipping exercise, essentially, which which you clearly learnt reasonably quickly, uh, has got hairs on it when you look at the, the amount of risk for the sort of reward that uh, you're returning. Uh, did that change your both business and personal uh, investment strategy to a more a, a whole top to, whole top approach? Tell us tell us about uh, where that led you from there personally. Yeah, I think for me, the, that really led me to um, realise you know, the, the problem that I was facing. And that was really the genesis for future rent in terms of, um, you know, thinking, well, what should people be really doing? And I think it's really about buying, fixing and keeping assets, right? Yeah. Um, because when you keep the assets, you're able to get that capital growth over the long term. Um, and, you know, it's uh, really just even inflationary pressure that with leverage generates you the real, you know, real returns in, in, in property. Yeah, totally. Exactly right. It certainly takes uh, a lot of the pressure out of it and allows you a, a fair bit more time to put into other activities. So uh, talk to us about then uh, that that next step. Uh, what was both from the personal professional side of the equation, that, 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 that directly led into future rent? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So I, I sort of started thinking about all of these things and my own frustration as a property investor and my own inability to you know, pull the capital out of the deals without selling them and incurring a huge amount of tax and incurring a huge amount of friction costs in the whole process. Um, and, um, and it made me think, wow, there's actually no one out there that's supporting property investors and giving property investors um, something that's built for them and a solution that gives them easy access to the money that they need so they can grow their wealth. Um, and um, so it was a combination of all of those experiences and my um, my experience, you know, personally and professionally that led me to um, 
to come up with the idea for future rent. Yeah, I, I love the whole concept. So let, let's do a deep dive onto that uh, now, Godfrey, because it's uh, certainly an exciting innovation that uh, is really going to open the ears of the listeners. So uh, in really simple terms, uh, and let's, just to break it down, what is future rent? So, yeah, Future Rent is a loan-free alternative to the banks. Um, so it gives property investors $100,000 of their rent paid up front. And we're just giving people easy access to the money they need so they can grow their wealth. Yeah, love it. It's, uh, it's such, in, in elemental terms, it's, it's such a simple concept. It's one of those you think, well, why hasn't someone done this before? And, and that's often, <laughs> often the case. So uh, you've been smart enough to, to leap into that space. Uh, so if we sort of just stating the bleeding obvious, uh, what's the real problem that Future Rent solves? So it's all about access to finance. Um, access to finance is the biggest issue for property investors. And really there's three problems with it. It's complex, it's painful, and it's not fit for purpose. Um, so you know, generally the banks have made borrowing money harder and harder. So they've been laying contingency on contingency, and a lot of these are inappropriate in the short term. So for instance, even recently, there was the increase from the 2.5% buffer to 3% buffer, um, which isn't actually about responsible lending. Um, it's, it's actually about artificially trying to restrict prices, right? Yeah. Um, but it comes at a cost, and, and, and that cost is people's ability to to borrow money that they can actually afford. Um, so, you know, the banks have really made borrowing money a terrible experience with the paperwork, the wait times, the impact on your credit, but property investors just haven't really had a choice. Um, when you, you know, you're in a position like I was, um, your only option generally is to refinance or take out a personal loan or otherwise sell to get access to the capital you need. Yeah. And often those things are just painful or impractical. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've often jokingly said, Godfrey, yeah, that, and I think this is a quote by the, the US comedian Bob Hope many years ago, and that is that uh, uh, <laughs> the banks are only prepared to give you money if you can prove to them that you don't need it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy setup, I think, and and you're absolutely right. The 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 layer upon layer of uh, policy restriction that has now been brought into play by uh, forced by APRA and ASIC and every other regulatory body is is made it very challenging. And unfortunately, property investors have been demonised in that whole process quite unfairly, I think. Uh, as being the the cause of the the blowouts in property values across the country. Uh, if we look at what's happened in the last couple of years with COVID, uh, it, it's been an owner occupied led uh, uh, growth cycle. And uh, but unfortunately, investors tend to cop the the nasty end. Maybe it's just favourable because you know from a voting perspective, politically, uh, it's easier to kick an investor than it is to have a go at, at vote vote getting owner occupiers but uh, uh, certainly the whole industry is is lacking an opportunity like uh, future rent to really open up the the gambit so that um, investors can continue to grow their portfolio without uh, going gray uh, trying to maneuver through the the minefield of the the lending environment so um let, well, let's... 100%, yeah it's it, it's it's purely political um 
and um, and and it actually bears no impact on the actual reality of it all. It's a supply issue, right? Um, if the government wants to control prices or rate in prices, they need to address supply. Um, and um, you know, there's it, it, it amazes me that they haven't done anything you know more significant yet in this regard. There, there was a white paper a few years ago on um, medium density development, which basically proposed, look, as long as you comply with certain basic standards, then you don't need to go through a whole DA process. You can submit under a complying development um, for decent medium density development, um, which, you know, really is just updating a lot of the stock where which is no longer relevant, where someone doesn't need to have, have a house with a thousand square meter block of land, you know, that ideally should be a couple of townhomes or, you know, something more appropriate for, you know, a growing population. Um, but the whole issue has become politicized. And, um, and the terrible, the ridiculous thing is, is that, you know, the, um, property investors themselves don't fit that stereotype that the media really tries to portray, right? Um, 90% of property investors and certainly all the people we speak to are regular, hardworking Australians who are simply trying to plan for their retirement um, and, um, and, 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 you know, their financial future. 100% agree. And what astounds me is that given that uh, anyone with uh, that, that's been in the game for five minutes knows that relying on paying off the home and sticking money into super is going to destine a lot of hard-working Aussies to pinch, penny-pinching poverty when they get to retirement. You would think that uh, they'd be getting right behind property investors because uh, their ability to self-fund their, their future is going to take a lot uh, of pressure off the public purse in having to, to fund that long term. So it, it always confuses me. That, but, but this is where the short-termism of politics gets in the road of uh, long-term decisions. But I digress a little bit there, Godfrey. But, um, mate, well, let's, let's drill back into Future Rent then and, and get you to break us down exactly how it works. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, we give property investors so up to $100,000, right? But our most popular product is someone gets a year's worth of rent up front and that's paid back over three years from a third of the rental income. So that way the landlord still gets two thirds of the rent, less our cost, which is 6% of, of, of the rent. So they're still getting over 60% of the rental income. So the basic process is someone applies online in probably two, three minutes. It's really basic info. Um, and we basically, we, we get everything else that we need from the property manager. And we can do that because you're not borrowing money when you deal with future rents. So as a result, we're not assessing you as an individual. Um, so like a lot of people think that it depends on how long he's left on the lease. It actually doesn't matter. Um, even if he's vacant or month to month, you can still get a full year's worth of rent up front for any reason. Um, and then if the reason is actually to help you buy another property, you can actually access two years rent up front. Um, so that can be really significant and powerful in terms of giving people that access to capital. 
Yeah, love it, love it. That's uh, certainly going to go a long way towards a deposit that uh, they can't access with equity that's locked up in the other properties that they just can't jump the finance hurdles to get their hands on. So uh, are there any, what other, you know, and you mentioned a very important point there, I think, that uh, clearly uh, for your own risk management perspective, there needs to be a professional property manager involved to give you confidence around uh, the, both the rental and the management of the property. Are there any other key criteria there that need to be met to satisfy your requirements? Um, so really all we need is, yeah, professional property manager to be in place. Um, we, um, we do do a credit check, but we do it in a, as a soft check, which doesn't leave any footprint on the file. Yeah. And there we're really just checking that you know, the people we're dealing with are, are currently sort of meeting their, their repayments and they're not, not in any you know, financial difficulty. Um, but otherwise, it's a really seamless process. Almost sounds too good to be true. So uh, I know the listeners will be going, wow, the idea of upfront rental payments seems absolutely fantastic. What's the catch? What, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just one fixed cost. So, uh, which is basically just 6% um, of the uh, amount advanced each year. So, um, so that's all it is. And it's, it's terrible that there's actually that kind of response, I think, sometimes with, with people. And, and, and that's because people have become almost accustomed in financial services to expect a catch, right? Because there's all of these fees and all of these different charges and all of these crazy terms and conditions. And we've tried to design something that's completely the opposite of that, where we're giving people simply simple access to the money they need in the form of the rent that they can use for whatever they want, right? Um, so um, it's, uh, yeah, I think if anything, there's probably when you think about the alternatives, which are really refinancing, um, is the biggest alternative of topping up your loan or refinancing. It's actually there that most of the catches lie, um, where, you know, most people don't realise this, but if you're doing a top-up, you're probably going to pay about $2,000 just in costs uh, to set the thing up, right? Uh, this is in terms of valuation costs, application fees, all of the hidden charges that are buried in the fine print. Um, and then, you know, the actual cost of that money, um, even if you think you're getting like a, a great headline rate, you're like, oh, look, I'm borrowing at 3%, that 3% is so much cheaper. Um, most people, they just say they need an extra um, 25 grand. They top up their mortgage with that amount and that ends up costing them over $15,000 in interest over the life of their loan um, because that interest just keeps eating and eating away. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think, I think it's this unfortunate reality where people sort of expect the catch, but something that we've, you know, really intentionally designed away from. Yeah, I love it because, I mean, you know, looking at the breaking side of our own business, uh, in the current day and age, and it never, it didn't used to be this, but, you know, given the changes since the, and before the Royal Commission, uh, just to get a 25 grand top out, you've now got to go on through an a full application process. Uh, so there's, as you say, the, there's money there, there's time there, but there's stress and complexity around the exercise because you're reassessing, you're revaluing, uh, which which has a number of risks attached to it. And quite often, uh, where investors are looking to uh, access equity, 
uh, they, they're crossing the border into lenders' mortgage insurance territory, which then adds a further complexity around the approval process, but also another significant cost that then gets amortised into the loan. And that 15 grand that you spoke about over the life of the loan is substantially increased because of the lenders' mortgage insurance uh, impact on all of that. So uh, mm. certainly, uh, you know, what, what you're offering is just such a clear road to uh, accessing funds quickly, simply without the stress. Uh, absolutely love it. Uh, now, mm. you, you, you're sort of emphasising the fact that you're, you're really building future rent for property investors. Uh, you know, in, above and beyond what we've already spoken about, what does this actually mean? Yeah, so I guess it means that we've got a lot of things that are built in that are designed specifically with, with property investors and their needs in mind. Um, so, for example, um, if your tenant moves out midway through the tenancy, if you were borrowing the money, you'd still need to make the payments. But with future rent, the repayments actually pause, right? Um, so we're, we're giving you rent up front and we're repaid from that rent as and when it comes back in, right? Um, so, you know, that's a big one. And, and then you're actually, you know, you're not borrowing money. You're just accessing your rent up front. Yeah. And that means that to put people through any of the, uh, the usual rigmarole. Yeah, I love it, mate. It's just the simplicity of it, it is uh, supreme. Um, now, you say that future rent is interest-free. So apart from that 6% cost, uh, how else do the repayments need to work? Well, the thing about that 6% cost is we actually do that to effectively fix the cost. So say, for instance, you um, decide that you want, uh, you know, say, 100 grand and um, you know, you've got a nice investment property that's rented for $2,000 a week. Um, so you want 100 grand and you want to pay it back in 18 months. Then what we'll say is we we'll say, okay, well, the cost of that 100 grand over 18 months is $9,000 in rent, yep. right? And if that then takes, you know, 24 months to pay back because there's some vacancy or there are some issues, it doesn't cost you any more than 9000 right? So it's not interest that can compound and snowball and where you don't have any visibility into, you know, what the ultimate cost will be. It comes at just basically a fixed cost um, and there's no interest and no other fees, no late fees, none of those things that you'd ordinarily see. Absolutely love it. So uh, what are the main use cases for future rent uh, with the clients that uh, are currently using their upfront rent mate? Yeah, it's, it's really about in the main wealth creation, right? So um, that's in the categories of like renovations, um, both people, you know, renovating their own homes and their investment properties. Um, and then people buying additional properties. Um, and that's, again, both investors and uh, and then owner-occupiers as well. So people who are, for instance, rent investors who are then looking to use the capital to, to buy, you know, their first home. Even the bank of mum and dad, we're seeing a lot of, you know, parents who have an investment property who want to help their, their child with the deposit. And, you know, this is a really simple, clean way to do it. Um, so, you know, there, then there are also things like, for instance, people investing in small business. Small business lending is really expensive and really, really difficult. 
Uh, whereas this seems to be a great option for people. Um, and then other things like investing in the share market, again, a better option than, you know, a margin loan or, or something like that. Um, so like I, to give you a, like some examples, um, like some of the returns that people are getting using future rent really cleverly are phenomenal. So we um, have a client, for instance, Darren, who uh, has an investment property up in Darwin. And um, he spent 25000 on a simple, pretty cosmetic renovation. And he managed to increase the rent from 500 to 800 a week. Um, yeah, so that's an extra $15,000 a year, right? Um, so, and that's every year, you know, 60 plus percent return on investment. Um, most commonly, like obviously that's big. Most commonly, we see people maybe spending 20000 on a reno yeah. and getting an extra 100 to 200 bucks a week. Um, but, you know, that's 20 to 50% a year, massive, right? Massive. Yeah. Yeah. Which is huge. Plus, obviously, it often then leads to high valuation, which helps what you can do with the bank um, and helps your refinancing strategy and all the rest of it. Totally, totally. So uh, just allow me to ask this probably a dumb question uh, or might appear to be a dumb question. So what I'm hearing is that there's pretty much uh, no limits on providing they satisfy the criteria. The, there are no limits on what they spend the money on or am I misreading that? No, that's right. So if you're getting a year, you, you can access a year's worth of future rent upfront for any reason. Um, if you're looking to you know, purchase an additional property, you can access two years. But otherwise, there's there's no restrictions. Love it. It's just, uh, uh, yeah, a, a, a magic opportunity there, mate. So, um, uh, okay, well, let's, you've given us a couple of examples already uh, of how Future Rent works. Uh, how, how do you think Future Rent is used most effectively then uh, by the clients that you've seen today? Well, I think it's um, it's it's when they use future rent in a really um, deliberate way with their overall financing and investment strategy, right? So, for example, at the moment there are some really incredible low fixed rates, right? Where you you know you you might get half a percent less or sometimes maybe more um, by getting that fixed rate. But a lot of people they're on a variable rate purely because they want the flexibility to maybe change that in the future, right? But if you know that you don't plan on selling and you're in it for, you know, the next three, five years or however long you're going to fix for, then, you know, you're much better off um, sort of getting a great low fixed rate and then dealing with your more short-term needs and your investment capital with something like future rent. Um, so, um, you know, to give you an example, um, we have a client in Southwest Sydney who um, told us that he was able to um, basically fix his rate at like just over a 50 basis point um, discount yes. to what he was paying on his variable rate. And, um, and, and then basically his whole strategy is around dual income properties. Um, so buying properties on blocks of land that are just big enough to add a granny flat, get that extra, you know, $350, $400 a week, right? and then use FutureRent there again to recycle that capital and do it again and pay for the next deposit and the next, um, the next granny flat. Um, 
we have clients doing, you know, similar things all around the country. Um, another client who, you know, does it really well in, um, in Canberra, um, where, you know, in, in that area in particular, there's been a lot of rental growth recently um, and some other areas like the Central Coast where sometimes I think, you know, rents can almost be a bit of a leading indicator for prices as well. Yeah. Um, and where you, you know, use future rent um, with that, especially that sort of dual income strategy, I think you can do incredibly well. Yeah, love it, love it. Well, uh, can you sort of run us through some of the numbers on future rent uh, and then as a, as a flow on from that, summarise the, the key benefits? Yeah, so say for example, your rent is $3,000 a month. Um, so the whole proposition is instead of getting that $3,000 a month, get $36,000 upfront and you can pay back that $36,000 or that one year's worth of rent over three years from about a third of the rental income. So that means that, you know, that each month $1,000 goes to repay future rent, which leaves you as the owner with $2,000 um, less the cost, which is 6%, so $180 each month. So you as the owner, you're still getting, you know, $1,800 every month, um, which is over 60% of the rental income, right? But what it's allowed you to do is bring forward that rent, right? And when sort of people think about the cost, um, I think a um, couple of things to note. So firstly, um, the cost is effectively uh, tax deductible in the sense that you're receiving less rental income, which um, reduces your rental income and then reduces your declarable income, right, by that 6%. Yep. What it allows people to do is gives them the equity they need so they can make their next move, right? And they can work that rental income harder. And, you know, to put it in terms of numbers, <clears throat> say for instance, like the average yield, say three to five percent, or to make the numbers easy, say five percent if you're buying a property on like a five percent sort of yield, right? Yep. So we're giving someone sort of five to ten percent of the property value, yep. right? Yep. Um, and it's costing them 6% of, say, that 5%, right? So it's costing them maybe 0.3% of that property value every year, yeah. right? Yeah. So say, for instance, the property goes up in value by 3% each year, you're making 10 times the cost of future end every year. Yeah, it's um, a great way to put it. It puts it in, in much more perspective. than, uh, And this is the old trap. Pe people get stuck on rates without understanding what the actual cost position is. So uh, a very important distinction to underline there. Uh, you touched on the tax treatment. Uh, th let's break that down a little bit because that will be something that I, I know a lot of interested parties will want to understand better. Can you just sort of uh, drill down into the tax treatment a bit, in a bit more detail? Yeah, so, so how it works is even though you're getting the money up front, um, that is spread out over the life of the deal. So say, for instance, you get a year worth of rent up front. Instead of you being taxed on that all at once, you're taxed from an income tax perspective progressively. So you'll recognize you know, a third of that income in the first year, a third in the second year, and a third in the third year, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, and then the cost of future rent being that sort of 6% that's um, uh, going to future rent, 
that's rental income that you're not receiving. So it effectively then reduces your taxable income, um, which reduces the amount of tax you pay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, love it, love it. By, by effectively a third. So that's, that's pretty substantial uh, in terms of, depending on the income position of the actual investors, uh, potentially that's going to keep a fair bit of their own hard-earned in their pocket as a consequence of that. And so you sort of get the, the, the flow-on effect uh, as a result of that. No, I love that, mate. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, really exciting, mate. Uh, there's uh, ample opportunity there, very easy process. Uh, what's next for Future Rent then? Yeah, so we're really in the scale-up phase. I mean, we're, we're, we're national now. We've got some really solid foundations. We've got a great team. Um, we, um, we've got like a, a $20 million debt facility that um, is sort of helping us keep up with the demand um, that we're experiencing. And, um, and so, yeah, we're really just going to continue to grow out the, um, the business and help property investors with their goals. But um, we're also, you know, sort of building out or starting to build out more of the B2B partnerships, so partnerships with real estate agents and, um, and mortgage brokers and the like. Um, but, yeah, we just want to keep doing what we're doing and, and, and start to do it at, at real scale. Love it, mate. Very exciting times. Uh, anything uh, that finally to add in relation to future rent that, that we haven't discussed that's important for people to know? Uh, I, th- I think that that's a really great overview. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really about just giving people um, a simpler, better, purpose-built solution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely love them, mate, without the headaches and the hurdles that uh, the banks keep uh, increasing, yet, yet alone... Uh, and adding to them, unfortunately. Now, love that, mate. Uh, I absolutely congratulate you on the innovation uh, and the ease. What I, what I love about this is, you know, as we all know, uh, property, uh, particularly when you're talking money, can be a very stressful exercise. And the uncertainty around being able to get your hands on the money is one of the, the biggest issues that investors face. So you've, you've just removed uh, a significant number of those hurdles and the, the stress, time and complexity that's associated with it normally. So I'd absolutely take my hat off to you, mate. Uh, and uh, you know, really uh, very supportive of any initiative that uh, you're driving there. Mate, uh, I, I want to switch now into what I affectionately refer to as the, the ambush round or the, you know, the, the fast five questions that uh, all podcasts tend to hit their guests with. So to, to share your words of wisdom, what's your favourite quote and why? Well, well, it's actually probably a, a tweet, right? So if I can, there's a tweet by a guy called Naval Ravikant, who's the founder of AngelList in the US, and, um, and it's play long-term games with long-term people. All returns in life, whether in wealth, relationships, or knowledge, come from compound interest. And, you know, I, I, I love that because people, they usually think about compound interest in terms of just investing, and they think about investing in terms of just the asset, right? But it's so much more than that. It's the knowledge that you've got. It's the experience that you've got. And it's by specialising and getting that, you know, accumulated experience um, that people, you know, are able to actually start to do really, really well. Totally agree. And, and that, yeah, you made a really good point there because, uh, you know, growth in anything, I've always said growth in anything is exponential. And it means that there's you'd see very little results for it early on, but if you hang in there long enough, 
then you really reap the rewards. And it's not just the physical rewards we're talking about. It is that investment in your knowledge. It's investment in relationships and in networks. Uh, and that it's that combination of things that ultimately then creates sustainable success in, in whatever you're achieving. So, yeah, that's a great quote, mate. I haven't heard that one before and that, that is an absolute cracker. Mate, uh, turning to the literary field then, what's the top book that you'd recommend people read and why? I'm a big fan of um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Um, And uh, I I love it because I think it helps people see the world as it really is. Um, And uh, that often requires people to overcome biases and overcome their initial gut reaction and slow down and actually really think deeply about whatever situation or investment or whatever it might be. Um, so I think it's a really good one because it's, it's not just investment related. It applies to so many aspects of your life. Totally. I, it's one of my favourite reads and I, I 100% agree with you. Where unfortunately, we live in a world of you know, faster, bigger, better and uh, doesn't really encourage or allow that, that deep thinking time where you sort of take time out and really uh, contemplate and meditate on uh, what is the right course of action. But those who are smart enough to do that uh, always make m- much better choices and much better decisions as a result of that, mate. So, yeah, that, that's a cracking read. Mate, this next question is a little bit left field, but uh, and most Aussies still believe they pay way too much tax. So what's the top legal thing that you've done to minimise the tax that you pay? Uh, you know, probably a, 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 maybe a good one for some people, but not for others. But start a startup. You won't make any money, at least for the, <laughs> at least for the first years, right? So um, that's uh, one way to do it. So, but no, look, jokes aside, I, I think the biggest thing is, 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 is don't sell, right? You don't need to sell. Keep the property and recycle the capital, right? Um, it's when you can defer that and defer that and defer that. I mean, that's all that the tax game is in Australia. But when you can defer that by not actually selling, that's when you can really get the benefits of that compounding. Yeah, absolutely agree, mate. That's uh, music to my ears and uh, 100% agree with that approach. Uh, back on the investment arena then, what's both the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received today? Look, I think the best piece of investment advice I received was um, pretty simple and pretty early in my career. I remember sitting down with um, with a sort of colleague um, at a pub and he um, he basically was just banging on, telling me that it's just all about leverage and um, and telling me to just borrow as much money as I possibly could as long as it was money from the bank, residential mortgage debt, right? And, um, you know, working in that area, I really began to appreciate the differences in terms of the different types of debt, right? But that kind of debt is the safest, most stable, secure debt you can ever have. And it doesn't appreciate, as long as you are buying an asset that can generate a great enough return to pay that cost of funds, right? Um, Which, this point in the cycle is you know, very, very easy to do. Um, it's all about leverage. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think um, often that feels um, risky for people. It feels um, 
you know, uh, uncomfortable for some people. Um, but as long as you're investing in, you know, assets that can pay you a, a good enough return to cover the cost of that debt, um, then, you know, it's the type of thing you, you, you often do want to maximize. Obviously, I'm not giving investment advice here, but, but I think that, um, is, is probably the best piece of advice I've, I've ever received. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. And, uh, you know, that, that the, I guess the un, unseen and, un, and the hidden aspect of that is that, uh, as, as you well point out there, by leveraging it to debt, over time inflation and, and the growth in the property value actually minimises that debt position. So what might feel uh, expensive and scary now diminishes over time and, you know, a quick example of that, uh, the very first investment property that, that we bought uh, over 20 years ago for the, you know, bought a property for the princely sum of 84000 and we borrowed 97% of that then because you could. Uh, so we're, we're only talking you know, a bit over seventy grand in terms of borrowings. That property now's last valuation just recently was about six fifty, dollars uh, and uh, we pretty much uh, eliminated that debt. And and at the time it was a bit scary for us because that was our first in, first investment and we weren't really sure how that was going to go. But if we look back now at the cost of that rent against the sort of the cost of that debt against the rental income and the growth and the value of the property we achieved it, it's nothing. So uh, yeah, that's a that's absolutely nailed that. And it's not only leverage of money; it's leverage of other people's expertise. So I've always say it's other people's money and other people's uh, knowledge that also contributes to it, but it all comes back to leverage, mate. So that's awesome. Uh, what about the worst piece of an investment advice you've ever received? You know, I think there's so much bad advice out there, um, especially like even in the like superannuation space. Um, you know, I, um, I had my super with one of the uh, groups which, you know, ended up, I wasn't even a party to it, but there's like a class action against the, um, against the, uh, the, the bank-led um sort of super group. Um, there's just such bad advice out there, like in, in relation to super. I now have all my super with um, just basically uh, low cost ETFs, right? Yeah. Um, and um, the amount that you save in fees is is unbelievable. Um, and the returns that you actually get, um, especially if you're someone like me who's still, you know, in the sort of accumulation phase, I'm not planning on accessing my super for, you know, for a very long time. So really, I, you know, can withstand the short-term volatility. Um, so I'm much better off, me personally, um, going for more of an equities exposure rather than diluting it with, you know, gold and fixed income and all this other sort of stuff, which I know over the long term is going to generate much lower returns. Yeah. Um, so, and it's incredible, like, you know, even when I sat down with the financial advisor, which was compulsory to do before I switched everything into like a, to ETFs, they were trying to convince me not to, um, not to do it. Of course they were. Uh, they're not going to earn any of your hard-earned coin. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. So, so you've yeah, got to have your own mind for sure. Very strong uh, vested uh, interest in that area. Uh, my final question then uh, in this fast five round, uh, what's a, a personal happy habit or a daily discipline or a rewarding ritual that you've embraced that's uh, contributed most to your investment success today? I think the closest thing that I've got is, is, is really about thinking creatively about you know, your investments 
um, which for me has been a really powerful thing. And, 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 you know, there's always a million ways to skin a cat. But if you go back to first principles with everything, and if you ask the why on everything, then you can usually find a solution or cut a deal, right? Um, and I think that's something you can do, you know, in, um, in, in, in so many different aspects that you're doing. And if you don't understand the why, then you're missing the picture. Yeah, yeah, love it. Love it. Beautifully said. So the final question then that sort of allows you to put a, a big bow around everything we've spoken about. Uh, if I gave you a microphone that spoke to every single one of the 7.7 billion odd people that are currently alive in the world and I gave you a minute to talk, what would you suggest I invest in? Look, I think it, it sounds cliche, but you've got to invest in yourself and you've got to look at your own property investments as a, as a holistic business that's more than just the property you buy, right? It's your personal income put together with your loans, put together with whatever equity capital you've got. And if you can line all of those things up, then, and you can do that successfully to invest in property, then even if you just get inflationary returns, like two, 3% a year, the return on your equity is gonna be phenomenal, right? And it's gonna be something that most fund managers are gonna struggle to replicate. And it's something that you, as an individual, can do yourself. Yeah, I love it, mate. Uh, and again, you point out something that uh, most people overlook, and that is the return on money invested. Uh, you know, with, if the bank's carrying most of the, and doing most of the hard and heavy lifting on a property, then uh, if you look at the, the real cash on cash return, then uh, the, there isn't an asset in, in this country that will outperform property in that context. So, uh, no, love that, mate. Um, uh, been a really great conversation. Uh, really opened our uh, eyes to the exciting opportunity that future rent brings. So, for those listeners who are pretty keen to uh, investigate further the future rent opportunity, how can they get in touch with you, mate? Yeah, so uh, I guess they can uh, drop us an email anytime at hello at futurent.com.au. Um, or um, otherwise, they can, yeah, feel free to. Um, to give us a call, um, so we'll, we'll head to our website at futurent.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking to investors every day, um, and yeah, we'd love to see if we can help um, any of your uh, listeners uh, do more with their rental income. Yeah, fantastic. I'll certainly also be encouraging uh, any of the listeners that are finance brokers uh, or accountants or buyers agents and some of the real estate fraternity. Uh, to reach out to you as well because as a, uh, an opportunity uh, opening uh, potential, the future end exercise uh, has some real power there to free people up to really start uh, turbocharging the growth of their portfolio. So, mate, it's uh, been a great chat. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Uh, appreciate you coming on board today and I know that uh, the future is looking very rosy for future end. Thanks so much, Bushy. Such a pleasure. Thanks, mate. We'll stay in touch and talk soon. To get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au. That's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au. Or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. 
I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast. So thanks for listening. And as always, dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die forever.